You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hey folks, Luke Hector here on the 11th of December 2022. This will officially be the last podcast episode for the year. Oh wait, it's not going to be a problem, okay? This is not like, you know, not quitting the podcast. No, no, no. Uh, it's just the fact that obviously two weeks time when I would normally do the next podcast is, well, the 25th. Um, so maybe I'm allowed to have the 25th of December off, you know, I don't need to record a podcast on that day, and let's face it, what would be the point of doing it in advance, because who the hell is going to listen to it on Christmas Day? You know, give me some kind of a break. But then after that, two weeks' time would then lead us into, what, say, the... So the 1st, 8th, 8th odd of January, something like that. So that'd be a perfect time to start the podcast off again for 2023. So yeah, that's basically the deal. You know, there will be a break for Christmas, but then I'm sure everybody else is going to be taking some kind of a break as well. So how's things been going with the channel? Not too bad. Not too bad at all, frankly. Uh, it's... I've I've kind of caught up with a lot of the main stuff I needed to do, and I, some of that has involved some pretty stress-inducing work, but a lot of that was also taken care of by these bunch of review videos I did where I covered, was it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a three-part series, which was basically one day of solid recording. And they're doing okay. I mean, they're not doing fantastically. I didn't think they would do fantastically, although I'm quite impressed to see that when certain games have been split, there's clearly been a disparity in the number of views. Like, more people wanted to know about uh, Canopy and Fantasy Realms than they obviously did want to know about World Exchangers, Splitters and Vengeance, Roll and Fight. So, there was clearly some kind of a distinction there. But then we finally managed to get Endless Winter out for review. Cool, blimey, that was taking me a while to get around to that. And certainly that is doing nicely. Thank you very much for that. ISS Vanguard, again, another huge one that I needed to get reviewed. Again, doing pretty well as well, so more than happy that that's going okay. And then recently, I've managed to get a couple of expansion reviews for Beyond the Base Game out. So, Meadow Downstream and Caverna Frantic Fiends. One of them is uh, not great, and the other one is pretty good, so I'll leave you to distinguish which one of the two is which, but... They're off to a decent start. I mean, not, not a bad start at all, actually, for a Beyond the Base game video, because most of the time, Beyond the Base game videos don't get a lot of views. But these are already creeping up to the 1,000 mark, and they only came out a couple of days ago, well, yesterday, in fact, for Caverna. So you know what? I'm kind of pleased that these ones are doing a little bit better, especially the Caverna one, because I thought that would get watched by about five people, and that's it, because I know Caverna is a popular game, but was anybody really looking forward to this expansion? I don't know. But then the thing is... Amusingly enough, I'm the only person who's done a video for Converter Frantic Fiends. So, the, the weird thing with that is that you end up with a situation where I'm the hot review by default. And this is quite amusing. So, it's a, the, the proof is in the pudding and I'll, I'll milk it for while it lasts because it ain't going to last very long. But, uh, there we go. Yay, I'm in the hot review section, finally, on Board Game Geek, because I'm the only video for Caverna Frantic Fiends. It's amazing when you can, uh, like, jump, jump through loopholes like that. So, milk it for what it's worth. Nobody else make a video on Caverna Frantic Fiends, please. I want to hold this spot. <laughs> so if I'm only going to get it once, I'm going to at least have it for that. 
but yeah so in terms of reviews there's I've, i don't think there's that many left to do i've got to i've got to edit wayfarers of the south tigris tonight because uh, i want that to release tomorrow ideally because if i wait too long then people will beat me to the punch so that one is ready to be edited so that one is uh, definitely going to be coming out very soon uh, apart from that i can't think of what other games i desperately need to get out because there are some that I have bought and some that are 2022 releases, but they're not exactly major ones that I needed to get reviewed. I know that there was Northgard, I believe, which was a game given to me by Studio HS, and that one does need a review at some point, but time permitting, I just haven't managed to get it played. And so that one might just be a bit delayed, maybe till 2023, but you know, that one is the only one I can think of where a publisher has given me the game and I need to review it because I think I've done all the rest. I mean, there are a couple of small ones from Kienda recently. In fact, they're not on the table. Ah, oh, they're underneath the sleeves, that's why. But just to let you know that these aren't destined for pre-Christmas releases, but I definitely want to play them in advance of my top 10 of 2022, because obviously if I give them the beans, then I can at least consider them for the uh, top, the top 10 even if I can't do an actual review video for them yet, but Kiender has sponsored the channel with some more stuff. So for those of you who are into, I'm trying to type around my microphone here and it's proving a little bit difficult. There we go. Let's uh, shuffle a bit and move the keyboard. Right, that's better. So we have Beer and Bread, Beer and Bread 2022 release, a tiny little two-player game, Scott Almas from Michael Menzel Illustrator from Deep Print Games. This was quite hot at Essen. And I debated getting it. It was only about 25 euro, I think. But it's a two-player only game. And I didn't want to spend the money on something that I probably was not going to keep because it was two-player only. But I don't know. Part of me is thinking, why didn't I just buy it? Because I do have some games in my collection that are two-player only. If the game is that good, then I would do it. Was it 25? Maybe it was 30 euro. I don't know. But something was putting me off wanting to buy it. I think it was because it was one of those games that I put in the I'll buy it once I've tried it category. And it was not impossible to get into a demo of it. So because I couldn't get it demoed, I wasn't prepared to spend any more euros at that point. But I now have a copy of Beer and Bread. So at some point I'll have to rope somebody in to play this two player with me and give it the beans. Because it is a short game. So we can crank out a good you know four or five games in you know quick succession. And I'll be able to give my views on that one soon. Uh, will it be pre-Christmas? I don't know. That is not guaranteed. Because if you consider that before Christmas, I need to do the top 10 of 2022. And I also need to do another Kickstarter video for December. So those two videos are definitely happening. Uh, on top of that, it's just a case of whether I've got time to do other bits and bobs. Obviously, you know, some review content as and when I can. But if I can get this one done nice and quick, then I will. Uh, also, I have from Kiender the new game from Pencil First called Delicious. Fill your garden with delicious fruits and vegetables. Now, if anybody has been paying attention to my channel in the last year or so, you'll know that I've got a bit of a thing for Pencil First games, uh, little releases lately. I haven't played all their stuff, but and not every single one of their games is something I love, but then... They do lots of nice, pleasant little filler games. Sunset Over Water, very nice, pleasant little game. Herbaceous, one of the simplest little card games you can find. Great for new gamers and looks beautiful. It's just as, like just soft and light and pleasant. But that one was completely superfluous to, uh, well, Floriferous, which was the sequel to it, which was the one that I went, oh my god, this is actually one of the best fillers I've played in a long time. So much so it ended up in the top 100. It really was a solid game. Well, Delicious is now the third one. 
I don't know much about its mechanics. I know that uh, Z Garcia has done a review on it, so I probably should watch it in more detail. But frankly, I just hope the game isn't garbage because this artwork that they use, oh my, I love the artwork in these games. It just makes me want to go to the supermarket, grab a ton of fruit and veg and cook a stew or something. It just really does. They just look so beautiful, honestly. So I hope that this is another cool game. It does have some element of drawing, which I'm a little bit concerned with. Is this just going to be a roll and write? I'm not entirely sure. What does it say about the game? I should probably read up more on it. So, over the course of the game, players fill in their respective gardens with fruit and vegetables by sketching them based on cards and tokens that are revealed in the community area. Okay, so 12 rounds, two cards are flipped, decide which to use. Okay, I mean, that, that doesn't sound too bad. It doesn't sound like a... It sounds more like a flipping right, but... The game could still be pretty good. I know I've kind of burnt out on some of these style of games. But then Harvest Dice was effectively a similar style of game. You know, you rolled the dice, you drafted them, and then you sketched where you wanted the vegetables to go. And there was restrictions on where they could go. And I really love Harvest Dice. I think it's one of the best rolling rights. Shame I don't have a copy of it anymore because I lost it. Whoops. But, you know, at some point, hopefully I'll be able to reacquire it. Because I think it is a really nice little filler game. But, yeah, delicious. I'm excited to try it just because of the pedigree that the previous, like, two or three games that I've played from this publisher have done. You know, they've got a target market. They know what the target market is. It works. And, like I say, Foriferous, if you have not played Foriferous, you really need to try that one out. It was a brilliant filler game. You know, it does the right job. 30 minutes tops. Simple rules. But tense decisions. Beautiful artwork. Tight scoring. It's a great so I hope this one is also uh, somewhere in there. I've got a feeling this will probably be maybe the, I don't know, would it be the heaviest of them? We'll have to see really. But I would say I'm still excited to give this one a go. So that is definitely happening. Those two will have reviews, but will they be pre-Christmas? Who knows? It depends how quickly I can get them played. I do like doing reviews for smaller games, I must admit, because they do, they're easier to get played. I can crank them out in no time at all, play them to death, and then do a review. It's much harder to do something like Endless Winter or ISS Vanguard. Well, I mean, ISS Vanguard, man, I had, to, I had to put a lot of hours into that game just to get it to a point where I felt comfortable enough to speak on it. And it takes time, it sucks up a lot of my daily life, so... They are harder to do. It's nice to just get a light filler that I can talk about. But more on doing small games for reviews in a minute. So, yeah, not too bad on that front. But in terms of New Year 2023, I want to sort of just mention a few things that I'm thinking of doing for the channel. Because I've kind of been stuck. I try to do a yearly season thing where every year it's a different season of the show and there's slight differences to layout and uh, intros and stuff like that. The last couple of years I've been fairly consistent with some minor changes and I feel like I need a slight refresh for 2023 and I do mean slight. I'm not going to change a ton of stuff because it's too much work. I mean the logo, there's no rebranding or anything. That's going to stay the same. Thumbnail style, probably going to still stay the same. I like the way it is, although I will make certain to stand in front of a camera and do more facial shots because I am rehashing the same ones over and over again. I really need to do uh, more or I just need to do more shots where I'm holding the game in question or something. That would actually make more sense, but... The problem is the camera is in here, whereas the camera needs to be put in the other room and do the shots. It's a lot of effort just for a thumbnail, so I need to find some way around that. Maybe just get better with my mobile phone at taking selfies or something. We'll see. But either way, that's a thing. 
I also need to just consider, uh, I need to tweak the intros a little bit. I mean, the intro I've been using so far I really like, but it's been the same for the past couple of years. I want to keep the intro, I just want to change the pictures, you know, change the pictures of the games so that you can tell this is the 2023 edition of the show rather than 21-22. You know, and that's all it is. It will just be different photos of games, so that's a small tweak. Uh, the podcast intro will remain the same. Uh, same with, I mean, it'll be the same intro I use for live. So, I mean, yeah, not much is going to change on that front. Maybe I'll get some more music tracks for the videos, though, so I'm not rehashing the same ones, but we'll see. Uh, I can't think of anything else on that specific front, but I do need to think about what content I'm doing and how, because this year was quite... Whew, it was definitely a case of the first half of the year, not much happening. And then the second half of the year, everything just went insane. Now, I've addressed that to a certain extent. The top 100 list, you know, will now no longer be taking place in summer and uh, winter time when it clashes with Essen because it just causes too much backlog and stress. So we voted and it's going to happen 14 months time around January, February of 2024 to give time for the list to stew a bit, for things to change. I reckon it will be quite an interesting list at that point, but also just to put it in an area of time where games don't get released and I can actually do the wretched list without being stressed out to high heaven. So that, I think, is going to be a very positive change, particularly for SM23. But I also need to consider reviews because I love doing top 10s. Top 10s are my favorite thing to do, whether it's solo or collaborations. And the collaborations are back. I've already done two, you know, with All Aboard Gamer and uh, Dan from Chairman on the Board. Uh, Brandon Brandon from All Aboard Gamer, Dan, Chairman on the Board. But those two were really great lists. I mean, the, the All Aboard Gamer one was three hours. And that was not intentional. We just talked and talked and talked about overrated games. And it was brilliant. You know, listen to it in the car on a long journey to visit your family for Christmas. I mean, oh, we really enjoyed that one. But... You know, collaborations are back. I don't know when the next one is because uh, nobody's in line at the moment. Um, so I kind of need some ideas, really. Uh, hopefully get some reoccurring ones back. I mean, you know, <laughs> Board Game Ramblings have not... Um, we've not done one in ages. It'd be nice to get, uh, uh, you know, Board Game Perspective on again if they can. But they're not always free. You know, there's, there's a lot of small channels that I would like to get back on the channel, but then obviously want to try out new, you know, new meat, <laughs> fresh meat as well, you know, so obviously there's a limit, you know, it's not like, oh, I've done two videos and that's it type thing, but, you know, they need to be reasonably established, but it's trying to support smaller channels rather than everything being about all the big ones. Uh, so, you know, more top tens are needed. And that will happen because reviews are going to die down now because once we get past Christmas, games won't get released and there will only be so much catch up from the previous year. But I want to obviously do more top tens and to do that, I need to mitigate what I do in the rest of my content. Now, podcast, two weekly, so far is okay. Worst case scenario, that would go to monthly, but two weeks is not too bad to do it. But it is like, oh, right, this Sunday, I need to leave time for that because that's essentially when I record it uh, with... Uh, the reviews, I did far too many reviews in the last few months. It was a lot. Some of that is because I go to a lot of publishers and they do me a lot of games. Some of it is because I was a bit too much of a yes man, saying yes to pretty much every review option that came through. But some of it is also because I think the format needs a little tweak. Just a little tweak. Now, I've experimented in the past with things like compilation reviews and also express reviews. Both have their pros and cons. The compilation reviews get a lot of games done in a short space of time, which is good. The problem is, 
it's impossible to share the things because BoardGameGeek has this annoying feature where you can't post the same video twice, which means that if I review three games in one video, only one of those games gets to go on BoardGameGeek, the other two don't. So that's annoying, you know, I mean, yes, I get where they're coming from, but still, if as long as you're not spamming the thing on the same post, which I'm sure they could easily put in a filter for that, if I've reviewed Canopy, One Ironauts, and Fantasy Realms Deluxe on one video, I should be able to put the video on those free games, or at least link them to it. If anybody knows a way of doing that, then please let me know, but as far as I can tell, there isn't, and that does hamper the ability to get the video out there. So compilations have a big con with a big pro. Express reviews I tried for a bit, but the problem is, Express reviews never really turned out to be Express reviews. They just turned out to be detail reviews with less stuff in them, because they took as long to do the review. And now, currently, my reviews are just one format. There is no detail or Express version, it's just review. And so they can be long or short at their leisure. So there's a bit more flexibility. The Express reviews could be reworked in a better way. It's hard to say. I mean, I'm, I don't like the idea of having too many subcategories of shows because it just gets complicated trying to mitigate them all, although it does make it easier to search for stuff in playlists. But I think what might just need to happen is I either need to come up with an Express Star review that works, or I just need to accept that, you know, smaller games are just going to get less coverage because it's all right, you know, the big hotness games naturally need coverage. You know, it's what gets you the views, but it's also what, is what people want to see but you can tell from some of the compilation videos that i've done in the past that well it's compilation or small box ones is that you can easily tell which ones just don't get a lot of love i mean banner festival for for the uh, lucky duck games i mean it's a big publisher but that hasn't even reached a thousand viewers and that was published like third week in november you know, people just weren't that interested in the game. I think it's a great game. I gave it a 9 out of 10 or something. I think you should really try it if you're a trick taker or a card game fan. But, man, people just weren't interested in it. And that could have had an express review rather than take the full time to do a full video for it. Now, something like Eleven was a bigger game. People were interested in it. It's got the views to compensate, so that works. And you do get a few anomalies. I mean, I expected more people to, like, deal with the devil. But apparently that was a bit of a dud in terms of a, you know outlook i mean it's almost getting overtaken by precognition which i thought was a game that nobody cave and monkeys about but uh it's got some but again there is there are just some times where a game does not need a full video and so i need to be i need to try and go kind of go right well if the game is not going to get a full 20 25 minute video what can it get especially with all the stuff i do and i think it's just going to be a case that if the game is not going to be a massive hit or if it's not like the new hotness or something like that then i think i just need to curb those videos down lengthwise whether that means doing an express format or just simply doing the normal format and just keeping the videos to like 10 minutes then that could work but i need to make certain that i don't devote the same amount of like extensive time to every single game that comes through because i just won't have time now on that note one thing I am considering doing, and I would, wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on this, everybody, is the removal of overviews in the videos. Because videos on YouTube ideally need to be short. Not crazy short, but people have low attention spans, but also YouTube algorithm tends to favor videos that don't go on forever. So trying to get under 20 minutes would be ideal. I don't want them to be like five minutes, because that just seems a little bit too short, although maybe some games warrant five minutes. But... 
you know, things like Beyond the Base game I can do in a short space of time, although a couple recently have been quite long, so I do need to try and curb those videos down shorter, because frankly, there's only so much you can explain about an expansion, but they could be a, a low, uh, a low editing style video, I suppose. But I do want to keep that serious, though, because as much as they don't always get the views, um, expansions need to be talked about, and I like talking about expansions, so that's staying. But what I'm thinking of doing is getting rid of the overview section in reviews, which is the point at the beginning where after I've given the background on, on the game itself and what I my connection to it, I then go into a rules overview. But I try to keep it fairly summarized because obviously if I explain a full tutorial, the, the video will take forever. But there is one thing. In everything that happens in a review video, the overview is my least favorite part out of it to talk about because... I'd rather be playing the game if I'm teaching what it does. The other thing is, is that there are other channels, big and small, who do a better job at doing the rules overview sections. I mean, you know, let's take Dice Tower for example. They have a massive bit at the start where they go over an overview of the game in detail. If you want an overview of the game in that respect, then I suggest just go watch that video, frankly, because it does it well enough, to, you know, to get an, an on-site. Me just talking about it with a few pictures, I don't think gives the message across as well. Not to mention it takes up time. You could be at the seven, eight minute mark of a video before I get around to actually saying my thoughts as to why I think the game is good or bad. And that's the important part of review for me, the why bit. I don't need to know how it plays because there's so many other avenues for finding that information out. I mean, you can literally copy and paste the blurb from Board Game Geek shove it in your description of a video and that will give enough of an overview of what the rules and that are like you know i mean if the publisher hasn't put a decent blurb on board game even that's well the publisher's fault frankly but there's so many ways to find out what it does i mean you want to know that it's a drafting game with player interaction that you take six cards in your hand and pass them around and then you decide to keep two and then keep three or whatever that should be explained on the Board Game Geek blurb, which means that all I need to do is just put a link to the page and you can find the overview. So why do I need to spend ages talking about it in a more kind of summarized and ad-libbed way? So that's something I wouldn't mind knowing your thoughts about. Worth keeping them or worth not? And I think there's going to be a, diver a div divisive look on this. I think some are going to like it, some are not. But I do need to make a decision either way, and I am definitely leaning more towards the removal of the overviews, because it will make doing the review videos quicker, because I won't have to do that section. I could devote more time to whys, if necessary, but if not, it just makes the videos quicker, <laughs> more digestible, uh, easier to edit, um, because the overview usually takes more editing time, because I have to make certain I get all the rules in, and that's where the majority of the photographs go. But, you know, th that's kind of what I'm thinking, and... You know, certainly for a, a small game, I don't want to spend half the video on the rules overview before I talk about what I think of it. So that's kind of my thoughts. I reckon it would do a good job. I mean, the overview for a Beyond the Base game video is a different story because you want to know what the expansion adds. And uh, Board Game Geek doesn't do a good job of explaining that section. But then you don't have to talk about the expansion for that long. But for a full game... I mean, ISS Vanguard, An Endless Winter, there is so much to talk about from a rules perspective. You know, imagine if I did a review of Coffee Trader and tried to talk about that. The rules overview would take forever to talk about everything that's in that game. That's just too much. And at the end of the day, do you really care what the rules are to the game or what, it, or what the mechanics are if I then tell you that the game is garbage? <laughs> you know, or, or, or like... Oh yeah, this gave me such a good feel, fantastic, go buy it, here's why. 
isn't the why bit more important to you than the fact that it includes drafting? Especially when you can literally just Google the game and find out it includes drafting. And if you hate drafting games, then you can just avoid it like the plague anyway. That's kind of my line of thinking. So, as again, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Uh, finally, on this front, because like I say, this is going to be a longer episode as a result. But I also will at some point get back round to trying out the solo playthrough things. I'm trying... <laughs> I just haven't had the time, but I've still got the C-stand downstairs. I've still got the 4K webcam downstairs. I just need to work out how to attach the two, get it in this room, and actually record some. Again, I just need to be able to sit down for a day and devote to it. And I'm hoping the Christmas period will do that, because I'm going home to the parents for a couple of days. Then I said I'm coming back here. And then because my sister-in-law has demanded I get home for New Year's, um, I'm going back home for New Year's. So I'm kind of making two trips home. But I can't stay at home the entire time. Because if I stay at home the entire day of Christmas, I will get nothing done at home. And, you know, I'll also get bored. But the I need to come back here. So I'll have a few days over the Christmas period where I can just sit here, watch some anime, play some solo games, play the computer, play some PC games that I'm caught up with, that kind of thing. But also tinker and tatter with some of the blog stuff. So certainly testing out the solo playthrough would be a thing. Now... Live is going to have to wait, because I think to do a live playthrough, I'd need to find some other software than the StreamYard, because StreamYard, I don't think, can hack it. I mean, it could, but you wouldn't be able to... I don't know if you can do multi-camera on this thing, but as I say, I think doing it with StreamYard would be tricky. So I'd like to at least just get the basics of recording one top-down view playthrough first, and experiment whether you are happy with just seeing the game and being played, and not caring if you can see my face or whether you do need to see my face in a small screen somewhere, in which case I need to find a way to set up a second camera. I mean, it's so much effort. I do wish I had somebody as part of the blog who literally could just figure this stuff out for me and just tell me how it works. That would be great, but sadly, not the case. You know, once it's set up, it'll be great, but it's just procrastinating that initial bit. But like I say, I do want to still look into that. It's just going to take a while, but it would be nice in 2023 to finally get that going. So yeah, there's some ideas for the blog, you know, just to try and streamline it a bit, just to condense it, keep my stress levels down, you know, because obviously I do need to concentrate on my work and, you know, obviously give my social life <laughs> what there is of it and, you know, and try and, well, I don't know, work on not being a single bachelor for the rest of my life. But although easier said than done, gamer girls that are single and don't have kids and don't want kids are somewhat rare, it must be said, <laughs> but, you know, certainly... It's frustrating going on uh, Match.com and a few things recently where it's like, oh, you've been viewed by these people. Every single one has kids. I mean, seriously, do they not read the profiles? Do they not, like, check out the filters or something like that? But, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, just a simple edit of your search filters would rule me out of the running for has kids. But, oh, well, I digress. So, yeah. A few little plans for the channel. It'll be interesting to know your thoughts. Alright, well, let's actually get on to some proper gaming stuff because it's already been 27 minutes and I've ranted and raved about all that. So, why don't we talk about a game, some games I've played that I probably won't do review videos for. Certainly not in this case because I just don't think it's... Uh, it's already been done and I just don't think it's going to get enough views. So, I'm just going to talk about it here. And that is Wolves. The Wolves from Pandasaurus Games. So, this is an area control game and it's got one of the best covers I've seen for a board game. I love this cover. The eye of the wolf with the wolves howling in its eyeball. It's like, oh, it's so cool. I love it. The game itself is interesting. I mean, basically, you take control of 
uh, a wolf tribe and the main mechanic is these tiles, these terrain tiles. Every action you do has a cost, one, two or three, but it's all based on the terrain hex that you're going to and you basically have to flip over tiles of the respective terrain hex to do the action. Uh, Moonlight track essentially keeps uh, tabs on the game timer, so when you do things in the game this track will fill up and generate scoring as well as the end game timer. But Mainly what you're doing is that you have these this board set up semi-randomly. There's lone wolves that you can basically put into your tribe and boost your numbers. You build dens, you build lairs, and you try and surround water sources for points. But as you build the dens, you essentially upgrade your clan. So you can increase the number of wolves you can move in a single turn, increase their speed, increase their howl range, you know, and stuff like that. And other things will get you points like circling prey and collecting tokens. Why you need to collect different prey tokens for points, I don't know how formatic that is, but it's, uh, I don't know, it works. The game is pretty. Looks cool, it's well produced, uh, but the only thing with this is that it just doesn't feel very memorable. It's a nice looking game and I'm glad I tried it, but I just don't feel the need to play much more of it. It's a little bit one note. You can, yes, diversify, what you know, what, you know change how you're going to build your tribe up. But for the most part, it's mainly, I mean, you want more wolves, period. You want to get more wolves out. So your main scoring is going to come from lairs and or prey. So you basically pick one of those two. In terms of taking the dens off the board, you're mainly choosing whether you want to do pack spread, which is a dumb name for saying how many wolves can move in an action, speed and howl range. Howl range is definitely the most powerful of those three. Being able to howl at lone wolves to get them in from a distance and dominate other players' wolves from a distance is very powerful to do it at range. Then speed, because being able to move fast across the map is always a given, Pack spread is the least powerful of them, and not to say it's useless, there is a point to moving a lot of wolves, especially if you're going after prey tokens, but for the most part I'd rather upgrade the rest, and if you diversify you miss out on victory points for really focusing on an area, so you're kind of hurting yourself by doing diversification. But yeah, at the end of the day, you move the wolves around, you get in each other's faces, it's semi-mean, I mean you can dominate each other's wolves, which is a, a bit of a pain, but it's not crippling, but I just found it kind of Meh. The tile flipping thing is probably the best thing about it, having a plan for when you're going to use these tiles, but the board state changes quite rapidly, so you find yourself planning for a turn where you're going, right, I'll flip these grass tiles, now I'm set up to flip the tundra tiles to do this, and oh, you've just come in and blocked the space. Alright, well what am I going to do with these tundra tiles now? I can't do anything useful on them, um, so now I'm a bit screwed. And so... It's very easy to get screwed out of a situation or paint yourself in a corner, and that's not fun. That doesn't feel fun. There's a bit of escalation, you know, your clan gets better and so you eventually unlock more stuff and you can do more powerful things, but the game of Phil Oaks stays its welcome a bit, particularly with four or five players. This is supposed to be a maximum 75 minute game. You're talking closer to 90, I think, at four or five players, certainly maybe longer with five. And it, in fact, well, actually, no, slightly longer with four because the timer board is two to three players, flip it over for four and five. But with five, there's no extra spaces with five players or three players. But there's more players doing stuff that generates the stuff on that track. So it's weird. Two and four players are the slower ways to play compared to three and five respectively. The problem is, five players also means less turns, which also means more downtime. It's just not that great with five. So four is stretching it out a bit. 
Free is probably the sweet spot for the game, I think. You you have a reasonable amount of area control. You've got two other opponents in your face. The game will progress at a quick pace because of the way the timer board is set up. And I think free is a sweet spot, but it's it's fine. I mean, that's the thing. The game is not bad. Most people are giving it sevens. I think I'd give it a six. It's It's above average. It's fine. It's just not that memorable. I don't have much desire to play it many more times than I have already, and it's certainly not one that's going to sit in the collection. It's just a shame because I like this theme and I like the production quality. It is very nice to look at this game. It is pretty, colourful. A little bit tricky to make out certain uh, bits on it because of the way their graphic design works, but, uh, you know, and there are one or two weird decisions they've made with graphic design, but other than that, not too bad. It's it's decent. It's a decent game. I just don't think it's going to be a mega hit. I will be very, very surprised if this gets talked about much in 2023. Ugh, take a drink. Need a drink. All right. Moving on to an older game uh, called Tournament at Camelot. This is something I've also rated a 6. Finally, I got to play this out of my collection. Now, people know I'm a big trick-taking fan. So this one I bought a while ago. And people did say that Tournament at Avalon was a better game. But Camelot's the only one I can seem to find. So I grabbed it from WizKids. It's a trick-taking game where you're basically in a melee. A sort of a battle melee. And you carry on until somebody's got killed off. And then whoever has the most health at that point wins. The best way I can describe it is if you took Cosmic Encounter in terms of its alien powers and cards that just screw everything up and mixed it with a Trick Taker because it is basically a trick taking game with a ton of special powers. You've got Godsend cards that you get throughout the game which basically give you game breaking abilities. You've got a protagonist player power that can also gain a companion to go with it. These give you game breaking powers and... Basically what you're doing is that you're just playing a standard trick-taking game where you've got four suits, you've got the wild, and you've got a couple of Merlin cards and Sorcerer's Apprentices. And essentially, based on whether you win or lose the trick, you'll take the cards, and the cards represent hits. So five five health points a card, ten of it's poison, twenty-five of it's a Merlin, that kind of thing. And certain cards will make life worse, like there's a flaming sword that just doubles all the hits you take. It's somewhat broken, I think. And you essentially just play for a trick-taking game, which is chaotic, pretty random, and it's fine. I mean, I do like it. It's a trick-taking game, and I do enjoy it, but the p two people I played it with uh, were not the biggest fans. One kind of embraced it more. Another, who you know was whining about a lot of stuff, you know, was just basically constantly hating on the game because he didn't like the randomness of it. It is fairly random. I mean, then again, so are most trick-taking games. They have an element of randomness. My problem was that we played it with three players. I don't think it works at three players. I think there's just not enough going on with the cards. It feels a bit stale. There's even a rule in the game where you can flip cards over if they're the same number. Because if alchemy cards and Merlin cards get played, you can dictate which number that is. And so you can go, right, my card is a clone of yours, therefore they flip over. That never happened in our entire game of the three-player game we played. Never happened. There's just not real much point in doing it. So will that happen more in a five-player game? Maybe a six-player game. Perhaps it's better played with more players. But then with that many powers going around, I can just see it being an absolute chaotic nightmare. Because these powers require some rules absorption at the start of a round in order to get to grips with. It's not a simple game by any means. There's a lot going on in some FAQ moments. I mean, and some of these cards are just not... You know, they are too powerful. I mean, this one is not 
too bad. But, I mean, the poison apple gives someone and they immediately lose 25 health. That's pretty punishing. And it's like, well, who do I play it on? Preferably the one with the most health. But there's ones where you basically have to say, right, okay, I don't get to pl I don't have to play first ever. I always play last, which mucks up the turn order. There's ones where I get multiple godsend cards, in which case you've got multiple powers going on. You've then got like something like, I get plus three to all my sword cards. Whoopee! You know, I mean, you know, there's a an item which if I give you it, you take double damage. You could literally lose 200 plus health in one round from that flaming sword. It's ridiculously overpowered. And there's just other things that kind of make it like, oh, this just this power contracts that power and that. And it doesn't feel as balanced as it could be. It, it feels a bit too wild and wacky. Maybe Tournament at Avalon is better. Maybe the tweaks to the rules and that are better. And I'd certainly be interested to know a comparison of the two. But this one was... It's above average for me. I still get some enjoyment out of it, but you have to go into it knowing this is not a serious trick-taking game. But it's definitely not ranked high in the trick-taking games I've played. I can think of other ones I'd rather play. This one was just maybe a little bit too chaotic, a bit too insane for what I wanted. But I'd be interested to try it. Maybe I need to try it with more players. You know, try it with people who aren't serious gamers. I don't know, but... It's definitely going to be a bit of an eclectic one, and if I can't find a group to play it with, I don't know how much longer it's going to stick around as a result. But, you know, I've given it a try. I'd be interested to know some people's thoughts on that. Alright, uh, we'll very quickly go on to some news before a focus of the channel, and I will be very quick with these. Uh, first off, uh, recently announced, and apparently out, although I have not seen a copy in the UK, it clearly must be something for the American market at the moment, My Little Everdale has released. This is meant to be a, well, it's marketed as a six-plus-year-old ready My Little Everdale. So, kind of like a kids, an Everdale you could play with kids. Now, from what I can tell from looking at this, uh... Yes, it's cutesy, and it's definitely a more, you know, ah, oh, look at that, you know, nice and cutesy and that. But I'm sorry, this does not look like a game that I would play with a six-year-old. Yes, the imagery is like that, but I think there's probably going to be one too many rules that I would want to shove in front of a six-year-old. That just seems way too low. And, I mean, this is like, it says, wait, 1.5. Okay, 1.5, wait, for My Little Everdale. Okay, let me just uh, find a few other games. Let me find Jaipur a second, all right? Jaipur... Wait, 1.47. This is how garbage this ranking system is on Board Game Geek. 1.47, so as near as makes no difference, the exact same weight. You're telling me that this game, with all these pieces, all these cards, and all this stuff that you can see here, is the same weight level as Jai Per. No, it's not. That is garbage. There's. This is clearly not... A simple six plus year old game. I mean, this is clearly like people of whoever designed this is basically skewed again, like most gamers do, what you know kids can understand. I think this is more like Everdell Express. And to be honest, I'm up for trying this because Everdell is a good game. It's not one I own, though. I think it does drag on a bit and gets a little bit too fiddly once you've got a ton of cards and I refuse to play it with more than three players. It just drags on too long. So, an Express version of it. Sounds quite cool. You know, it could be a game that I would really enjoy as an express quickie version. As long as it's not so simple that there's not much depth to it. But, yeah, kids version? I'm not convinced. But I can't see anything in the UK for it. 
So will we get it at some point? I don't think I want to class it as a 2022 release, frankly, considering it doesn't even have a uh, average rating yet. So I would more consider this a 2023 release at this point. All right. Uh, next up, we have Mystery of the Abbey. I have never played this game. I wouldn't mind trying it. But Mojito Studios, the same people who brought out the reprints of uh, Lost Code. Well, Lost... I think it was a uh, Think Straight it's a reprint of. But Lost Code, which is yet to fulfill. I'm still waiting for my copy. Um, although I do have a Kickstarter arriving on Monday, and I don't know what the Kickstarter is. I don't know if it's Skyrim, the adventure board game, which I didn't back. But they've... I've put in the request for a review copy and they've accepted so i will be reviewing skyrim at some point but i'm also waiting for frostpunk please let it be frostpunk that's what i really want it to be because it would be nice to get that played more before the top 10 of 2022 otherwise it's going to feel a bit weird that one of my most anticipated games of the year doesn't get mentioned on the top 10 because i've only played it once but uh what else could it be but could it be also the lost code from them because uh that one is still yet to fulfill so who knows what it's going to be but it's going to be an interesting monday waiting for it but they've basically said that they are reprinting mystery of the abbey this was uh i don't know a huge amount about uh mystery of the abbey itself i mean that box looks gorgeous you know it does look like it's going to be nice new art you know nice decent project but mr diaby let's let's go to the actual game come on work with me here so a whodunit deduction game in the spirit of Clue. A monk has been murdered and players maneuver their way through the Abbey, examining clues and questioning each other to find out who's the culprit. Okay, so there's it's a variant on Cluedo. Sounds like something I would enjoy. And I think it was originally done by Days of Wonder, but I never got a chance to play this. It sounds like a cool game. It's still only ranked 1500 or I suppose that's not too bad. But I'm down for a reprint of this. I would certainly like to try a reprint of this. But I'm not going to get too excited Mojito Games has not been the best with Kickstarter. They have either had production issues or, like with Lost Code, timing issues. Uh, the Cleopatra and the Society of Architects was way too big and ambitious. It just became too unwieldy to play and had some design flaws, I thought, with that one. it's Their reputation is not good enough for me to suddenly jump on something that they decide to bring to Kickstarter and that. So this is one that I would be interested to play, but I'm going to be a little bit wary about sinking my money into a kickstarter for it but you know if you like the game and you want a nice new version then well it's coming this is interesting though the last bit of news the aeg have approved uh, john declare basically doing a print and play prototype of his new expansion for space base now space base is another review that's just come to mind that i need to get done alderac gave me this ages ago and i still haven't reviewed it again time but I'm going to review it at some point, you know, Space Base with the command station included. Not the expansions, not the other expansions, it's just too much, and I'm not playing through Saga expansions for it. I just don't see the point in having Saga expansions for it. But I do want to review the actual main game, because just like Tiny Towns, they are letting people review some of their games now. But Space Base is a solid game, it's on my shelf, so I suppose spoiler alert, but, you know, how solid you'll have to see. But this is another expansion, Genesis. I really don't think it needs another expansion. I think it's already got enough as it is, thank you. But, oh well, you know, I guess he just wants to keep it going and it is a popular game. You know, just give me more cards. Just don't give me weird mechanics. Just give me cards without diluting the deck. Or give me more ways to make the game faster to play. That would also help. But what he's basically done is that he's put a print-and-play prototype on Borgen Geek. If you go to Space Base and find the Files section, you will find print-and-play prototype. So you can download and do a print and play version of the Space Base expansion. 
Now he's working on it, so it will develop, but this is basically meant to be, well, he claims it's an easy expansion to include with new and or experienced space basers, new rules are minimal and hopefully intuitive, no saga experience, thank God, <laughs> saga experiences were not a thing, simple shuffle, the new cards, and, and that's it. So, you know what? This is an expansion I want, just more cards. This would probably be the best expansion out of the lot if it just carries on at that rate, as long as deck dilution is given some consideration. But, yeah, if you want to try it, you can do it. And this is a nice new change, you know, people putting the prototypes of their stuff on BoardGameGeek to play, particularly someone like John DeClaire, who's pretty well known by now, and for a game like Space Base that's super popular, it's not something that's done very often, particularly as this is not likely to be a Kickstarter, so... You know, I am a, I'm intrigued by this. Now, am I going to print and play this thing? No, I don't really have the time, unfortunately, to sort of delve into print and plays. But I think this is a cool concept, and I welcome other people to do it and let me know their thoughts. You know, if you've tried it and you've had some ideas about it, stick it in the comments below and let us all know. All right, that's news. So, to round off this video, I basically have a lot of, well, I get... I ask my Patreons for questions every now and again, and usually I stick them into a podcast topic or a Q&A. Haven't done a Q&A for a while because of time. I thought I could do one before Christmas, but again, time. They will resume in 2023, trust me. I do like the live stream Q&As. But I thought I didn't want these questions to go to waste because I asked the Patreons for them and they were nice enough to give me the questions, so you know what, uh... You know, actually answer them, you fool. You know, that's kind of what I should do. So I thought I would just go through the Patreon questions that I have and, you know, just answer them. Now, we're just going to do like a little mini Q&A from Patreon, um, Patreon supporters. It's not that many. I think there's only about four or five. But, you know, we're going to answer them here right now without prior research. This is just on the fly. I'm going to read through them all in detail again. You know, obviously I read them before, but I hadn't had time to sort of research it. It's just a case of I'm going to read them again. And go through them as a nice little roundup for the episode. Right, got them on my phone because I don't want to have to browse them on the screen or anything. So I want to use the screen for other stuff. So let's take, oh, let's load them all. Make sure I've got them all. Right, here we go. So uh, thank you, Vincent. So what's your highest I shouldn't like that game in my top 100? That's an interesting concept, actually, because there are usually some exceptions to the rule where you find a game that you shouldn't like, but for some reason you do... And, you know, you you come across it and you go like, oh, yeah, you know, I do really enjoy this game. But why do I enjoy this game? Now, I'm bringing up my top 100 list in front of me, but I'm not showing it on screen because uh, I ain't crazy enough to spoil my entire top 100 in a spreadsheet, you know, at, at this point. So even though I might have done that on the last podcast, I'm not sure. But certainly I'm going to have a look. So what do we got here? So top 10... No, everything in my top 10 is something I would love. I mean, yeah, easily. Even something like Spirit Island, you know, is something that I kind of expected to like. I just had a bad teach to begin with. Top 20? Nope. All of those are games that I expect to like. I mean, innovation maybe, but then I do like quirky card games like that. So that would probably be fine. All right, top 30. Let's have a look. Uh, no, deck builders, pre-builder, deck builder. Uh... That one, big one, no, deck builder, big Euro. Uh, it surprised me about how much I enjoyed it, Terramara, but it's not one that I didn't expect to like. So, Raider sign. All right, top 40. So, right, here we go. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this one before, but it has to be this one. So, top 
highest I shouldn't like that game in my top 100 is officially number 36. It was 25 at one point. I mean, this is a game I really do adore. So there's no secret about that. And that game is, if I can load up BGG in a quick sense, it is the space game from, well, if you can call it space, that's a little bit uh, loosey goosey, but it is the space point salad from Czech Game Editions, Pulsar. 2849. Yeah, this this game is definitely one of those. I'm not typically a massive fan of his designs, of Vladimir Suchi, although, or no, Vladimir Suhi, apparently, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, you apparently pronounce it Suhi. You don't pronounce it with a chi, like CH or anything. But this one, point salads, I do like some point salad games, but sometimes you can make it super dry and super unfun. Breffenfeld. But, you know, with this one, it just surprised me. You know, the fact that, you know, this has very little theme whatsoever. I mean, you are basically just churning out points in various manners. But the simplicity of it, you know, like the simple rules, yet the smorgasbord of options that you get. I love this neon spacey look. It just makes it pop on the table. But I can teach this game in no time at all. We can get it done in 90 minutes, which is a good time frame, like two hours max. So it really fits that mid-weight category to a T. But just the amount of pass to victory and options you have. I mean, you've got tactical opportunities, but then you go like, right, I'm going to grab the transmitters this game, or I'm going to upgrade my huge cue board, or I'm going to sail around all the systems and get stuff, or I'm going to grab all the techs in the world or focus on goals. But then maybe you will use some techs for whatever you're doing, in which case, let's have a look at this massive board of techs over there. It's like, whoa, all the technologies, all the opportunities where you sort of look at it and go... That tech would be quite good now, and if I get that die, that could work. Okay, great. The rules are straightforward and streamlined. You know, you don't have less than or more than crap. You just basically do the die is the value end of. But funny enough, and I'm normally the first person to go, oh, God, tracks, yay, tracks. The tracks in this work. These two tracks here that you have on the left for turn order and the engineering cubes you get, which is just a currency, like I say, no theme, I love the way that when you take the dice off this row, depending on where the median is, yeah, it actually teaches you math as well, the dice you take affect how far left and right you move on these tracks. So you take a die of high value and you go, oh, that's going to send me back hard in turn order, or it's going to mean I don't get many cubes. Oh, do I really want that die? That decision is such a good decision to make. I need more games that utilize this aspect of, you know, if you're going to put boring tracks in your game, this is a good way to make them actually fun but yeah i've talked highly about this and i really would like to get this back to the table at some point but it is a bit of a table hog and certainly people will sort of look at it and go what the hell is that but it's a vladimir suhi game if you like his designs you want to check this one out but yeah this is definitely the highest one i mean i shouldn't have liked it as much as i did i mean i should have probably gone yeah it's fine or possibly even gone felled like and gone oh this is some boring point salad but no this one just sung to me it just really worked i gave it a 10 I stand by it. I still really love this game. I mean, at worst, it could drop to a nine. Big whoop. It's still a seal of distinction, okay? It's still a game I really enjoy. All right, next up, what do we got here? Uh, Emily, I've got a couple here. Can you do a deep dive into what you get for review copy games or when you request something to review your process? Any details you can share would be great. Well, I don't know about deep dive, but review copies vary. I mean, I am a small creator at the end of the day. So I don't have, you know, 
massive relationships with every single publisher and I don't just get stuff sent to me randomly which is good because I don't want stuff sent to me randomly because I'd get overloaded with games and I wouldn't be able to do it but you know people like the Dice Tower literally just get stuff sent to them they don't even need to ask for it so there's a massive disparity here but typically some publishers and distributors I'll be able to I make contacts with I make friends and I put in requests and they see if they can get me a copy more publishers are starting to be a little bit more open to smaller creators, but not always, and some not so much. And I am noticing publishers cherry-pick their reviewers. I've already spoken about this on a few older videos, and I don't like it when they cherry-pick reviewers, because at that point, I no longer trust their opinion about their games, because you've cherry-picked them. Why would you cherry-pick them if you weren't, like, you know, if there wasn't some bias towards the games? And I noticed this. It's like, seriously, do you have nothing bad to say about these games? No flaw whatsoever. Um, uh, yeah, right? No, 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 no. But in terms of me, there's a few main sources. I mean, Kiender, as you know, I have a promo that I do with them on reviews. They are local business to me. They're based in Hampshire. And they, you know, I, I get on well with the people who run it. They're good, they're good folks. And they were very kind to do some UK-specific small creator promo things. I mean, Dan from Chairman on the Board does stuff with them as well. And I like the fact that they reach out to smaller creators and, like, help them out. I just think that's something nice, you know, to do. So that already gives them props. But they, you know, I've got a system with them where, you know, I've got the referral code in my description you know, which obviously is part of it, but then obviously for advertising their site on my show, they send me games. So, you know, to review, which is great because this could include new hotness games, but it can include some stuff I just haven't done before. I mean, I bought Explorers of the North Sea recently from them, and it's not that that necessarily is going to get a full review video, but I bought it and it's like, you know what? Wouldn't mind sharing my thoughts on that at some point. But I mentioned Beer and Bread, new hotness Essen release, just out, great. I think it ran out of stock before and I got a second dot, so stock is a thing, but still, got it. You know, I think it's only just come out, maybe. And Delicious, you know, I can review that. But then other games that I have got from them, uh, trying to think of recent ones? Uh, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but, you know, I do get some pretty interesting stuff from them. And like I say, it helps to support the channel and keep it running. So, you know, props to them. Asmodee, occasionally I'll put review requests in and I'll get some stuff from them, but it's very hit and miss as to whether I get copies from them because they change their staff so often that I never know who I'm dealing with half the time. And sometimes you can have a, a run of a month or two where you constantly have contact and you get stuff sent to you, and then you can have another period of time where you just have dead silence and nothing happens. And there's a the very little communication back and forth. That's a very hit and miss affair. I mean, there was a period of time where it was most of my copies came from Asmodee. But then there was a guy I got on well with who worked there. He's now moved on to other pastures. And I've spoken to him every now and again. I mean, I think he also got me the Soul Forge copy, which I reviewed, which, granted, wasn't the best game I'd ever reviewed. I probably won't, I won't, probably won't get any more after that. But still, you know, when he was at Asmodee, it was great. You know, perfect communication, perfect contact. And I put in a request and I got the stuff. Or at least got told I couldn't have it. But that was how you run a reviewer request liaison. Sadly, once he left, it's been a bit downhill in that respect. But like I say, I still try to maintain what on earth is going on. And, you know, keep the relationship there. But yeah, so much, that has certainly died down a lot from what it used to be. In terms of uh, the process, there's not really much of a process. I mean, you make friends, you make contacts, you email them and say, look... 
you're bringing out this new game, I can do this for you, would you be interested in review coverage? And they'll say yes or no. And obviously they can't give a copy out to everybody, and I need to be able to justify it, so I usually have to give stats for like, look, this is what the channel's like now, this is how many viewers, this is the level of review it will get, whether it's, a, you know, like I talked about earlier in this episode, the uh, micro, a micro review or a big review, and... As I say, you just make friends, you network, you go... I mean, when I go to Essen, yes, I'm shopping around for games, but I'm also talking to publishers. You know, I'm meeting, like, lovely, you know, lovely... The Well, I swear, is everybody from, like, Europe just called Joanna? I swear there's so many Joannas in Europe, it's ridiculous. And every single one of them is a charming, lovely lady. It's, it's just something like about it. But, you know, I know a Joanna from Rebel. I know a Joanna from Portal. It's like, I swear there's another one I know. And it's just like, wow, so many Joannas. But the... It's just a case that you just make friends and you put in the requests and you maintain a solid relationship. Now, you know, if you took the mick, you know, you take a game and you don't review it, then, well, that's not, that's unprofessional. You know, so you've got to put in the work that you said you're going to do, set deadlines, you know, like, look, how long is it going to take you to do the review? And maybe I should be a bit more um, extended with that because I keep saying about a month. Maybe that's a little bit too constrained to get it done. You know, I really should maybe say two months to get a review out. Because I think one month is just a little bit too constrained. It really does depend on the game. You know, I can review Beer and Brain in no time at all. As soon as I find somebody to play that five times with. But ISS Vanguard? Different story. But, and sometimes I just get emails out of the blue saying, Hey, how's it going? Uh, we've got review requests for this. And it may not necessarily be directed to me. Occasionally it is. But sometimes it's a global, like, reach email from marketing um in fact i think uh the skyrim one was that as well it was just a blanket email sent to a bunch of people and they said if you're interested let us know and we'll if you're one of the first lot to do it we'll um give you a copy and it's like sweet Doom. i'd like to review the skyrim game i didn't want to kickstart it for the amount of cost it was but i'd be certainly tempted to do it and see if it brings back any old memories of playing uh the skyrim pc game but yeah you know it's just a case of networking, maintain relationships, email, and see what happens. But, you know, props to Kiender for, you know, doing a lot of the legwork for me at the moment. You know, it really does help the channel to have a constant source of, you know, like games and credit and stuff like that to, you know, help me get stuff to review. Because sometimes these reviews I do will be Patreon ones or people sort of mention, oh, have you considered reviewing this one? I mean, Explorers of the North Sea is a perfect example. You know, I don't think Patreon specifically requested it, but people have mentioned, have you played it? And I've always said, I've been interested to try this one. And you know what? I bought it on a whim because I thought, you know what? Maybe people on the show would like to hear of that. That is not a publisher asking me to review their game. It is me deciding to review something on behalf of the viewers. So, it it is just a case of playing it by ear and just maintaining a good network now do i have friendly network relationships with every publisher no it really does depend on the publisher you know some publishers you know see you do a negative review for a game and instantly blacklist you uh, some people will you know only focus on again the big channels or the select group of friends that always review their games highly it's you know and those sort of publishers i don't have much of a relationship with but yeah, that being said, that's why getting stuff from Asmodee and Kiendur has offset that. Or, for the most part, bearing in mind, as much as I talk about this as my process for getting review requests, 
a lot of these games I do aren't review requests. I've done a ton of stuff for Essen lately. Not all of those games were review requests, okay? There was a bunch that weren't. I mean, let me have a look at my content uh, for uh, the last while. And let me just see, which ones of these weren't review requests, okay? Uh, Caverna Frantic Fiends was not a review request. I bought that out of my own cash. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Scout was not a review request. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> um, World Experience of Vengeance was uh, One Ironauts Fantasy Realms. I mean, a bunch, of, a bunch of these late ones certainly were review requests, so hence they needed to get done. Uh, Deal with the Devil was... Wingspan and Wingspan, Wingspan Asia in a nesting box were not review requests. I mean, did you honestly think I would get those as review requests? No. And certainly after the reviews I gave both of them, I doubt it, anything would happen ever again. Although, to be fair, ever since Pendulum, nothing ever came since. So, you know, but then, let's face it, did anybody enjoy Pendulum? Come on, that was a garbage game. But, you know, suffice to say, those were not requests. Uh, let's see, 11 was, uh, let's see, nesting box... Flamecraft was, Starship Captain was. I mean, a lot of the SM releases were, but then ah, Lacrimosa was not. Um, I don't really get anything from Divya Games, so Lacrimosa was not an SM uh, review request. That was my own pocket. Uh, Attawa. I mean, Lookout Games um, noticed me on Twitter and that, but I don't think I've got a contact at Lookout Games to review their stuff. So at the moment, you know, anything from Lookout Games is always at the moment just going to be a, uh, a personal purchase. Uh, Tribes of the Wind, that was a personal purchase, that was not a review request, I did that of my own accord. Um, Woodcraft? Woodcraft was semi-review request, but it's a discounted review copy, it wasn't a full-on freebie. Uh, let's see, Oathsworn definitely was a review request, alright, let's go a bit further back. Alright, let's see, uh, Basilica was a review request, previews don't count. Twilight Inscription, that was... That was not a review request. But where did I get that from? I can't remember if that was a review request or I got that from Kiender. It was one of the two. But it certainly wasn't from a publisher. Um, let's see. Talatum was a publisher copy. Soulforge was. So was Terracotta Army. Wordcraft was. Previews don't count. Top 100. Radlands was not a review request. That was... That... That... No, 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 I bought that with my own... No, that was a Kienda one. That was a Kienda one, but Sobek was not a Kienda one, I don't think. I think Cree... It was one of these three. Sobek, Great Plains, and uh, Radlands was not a review request. That was definitely a thing. Uh, a bunch of games that I necessarily don't do review videos for probably aren't review requests. Tiny Towns was Acropolis. I mean... A lot of these are Kiender-based ones, so I've got to give it props. Living Forest was... Was Living Forest a review request? No, I don't think Living Forest was a review request. No, I think I bought that out of my own cash because I wanted to give it a review when it was Kinderspiel nominated. Um, Gutenberg, that was a review request? Yeah, I think that was. Uh, Star Wars Outer Rim Expansion, not a review request. Um, Sniper Elite. Was Sniper Elite a review request? I don't think it was. I mean, Rebellion have been very receptive to the review I did, but I don't think Rebellion sent me the game in the first place. I got a feeling that was born out of my own cash. Uh, Perseverance, definitely not a review request. <laughs> that was a Kickstarter purchase. That was my own money that went into that. Uh, Merchants of the Dark Road, similar. That was a personal purchase. 
uh, Gene Coppola's expansion, yeah, personal. Uh, anything from Garfield Games is a personal project. Like Wayfarers of the South Tigris, the one that I'm going to edit later today. Not a review request. I bought that out of my own cash. So, I mean, there's a mix. I mean, there's certainly more than there used to be for me in, in this regard. But, yeah, like I say, this channel basically just self-funds. It doesn't produce a profit. It doesn't fund my monthly income. That's what my day job's for. But just the fact that it's now got to a stage where it can self-fund itself is you know, good enough for me. All right, let's see. Uh, but, of course, that's because of very helpful publishers, very helpful distributors, very helpful retailers, and, of course, the Patreons. <laughs> All right, speaking of which, right. Um, when Similarly from Emily, when do you get a game to review from a publisher versus buying one for yourself and on asking for a review copy versus buying your own? And how do you go about making sure you did your due diligence for the company in a review? Also, how often do you get review copies from publishers? To be honest, I think I've actually just explained that in that massive rant I just did a minute ago. So I think I've just covered both your questions with one stone, really. I mean, due diligence for the company? No company has ever said to me, your review sucked, I don't want to work with you again. Usually it would just be the odd publisher who goes, ah, you reviewed my game negatively and therefore you're not getting anything in the future. They never tell you that, they just do it. You know, and I know a few who have done that. Bad professionalism. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, say, Wade, is there a game for which you... Was it, was it Wade? Is there a game for which you use a house rule that greatly improves the overall game experience? For instance, we draft birds in Wingspan and cards in Ark Nova, finding this that greatly mitigates any one player getting a super draw. I mean, yeah, I can see why you would draft in Wingspan in Ark Nova. I mean, I don't find... Wingspan, maybe. Ark Nova, you've got to realize it's short-term goals. The starting hand should not be your long-term strategy. But, you, I mean, if I drafted cards in Ark Nova, I'd be fine. It would add to the length of the game. But you know what? I'd be cool with it. I'd even attempt it with people who knew the game already. You know, and just give it a shot. But a game for which I use a house that greatly improves it. I mean, certainly anything that makes a game easier when it's stupidly punishing is a good sign. But, I try to think, greatly improves. I mean, they make... They are improvements, but whether I would call them greatly improved, I mean, it just makes it better. But there's two recently I can think of. Firstly, the most recent one I've added is Meadow. Uh, Meadow uh, Downstream, the expansion to that, as much as I like the expansion to Meadow Downstream, it adds another action, which means the game takes longer. And I think Meadow takes too long with four players as it is. Even three players is relatively long for what it is. So... Sometimes with free, but definitely with four players. These tiles that you have in order to choose your cards in this slot, you normally, I think in a four-player game, get four of them. And then you get the water one with the expansion. I now house rule that you only get, you get one less tile. So in a four-player game with the expansion, you would have the four normal tiles and the water tile. And you have to choose which one of those you don't play in a round. So rather than having five things to do, you now only have four. But to be honest, given that the four player of Meadow is already too long, I'm actually tempted to implement that house rule to say that you only get three things to do in a round. So you have, you know, the one, two, three, four tile, and you, well, maybe three things around is a little bit limiting. Uh, I guess I would say four, but because the water stuff is a little bit quicker. Maybe four. I think maybe only having three things to do around is a little bit restrictive with when you get the expansion. So... I would say that in a normal game of Meadow, 
you only have three out of the four actions to do. So you have one, two, three, four, and you have to pick which one of those you don't use in the ramp, because that's an interesting choice. With the expansion, you have the one, two, three, four in the water tile, and you pick one of those. So yes, it will be slightly longer with the expansion, but it won't extend it too much. That definitely improves a four-player experience. However, funny you should mention Arc Nova and Wingspan, because I've carried over a rule from Arc Nova to Wingspan. But it's not the one that you mentioned. I've carried over a rule that really needs to feature in more games. Arc Nova has a brilliant system where you draw two objectives at the start of the game and you don't choose which one you discard until you get to a certain point in the game, usually at least halfway through, if not further. So you don't have to decide what you're aiming for at the start. You can see how the game's progressed and then make your tactical decision later. I love it. It needs to be more games. So now that rule is in every single game I play where I have to pick a random objective at the start of the game I implement the Arc Nova rule. Wingspan, though, is where I've done this to a great extent. Alright, take a drink. So, what am I talking about here specifically? I'm not talking about the actual bird cards. Because, I mean, if you want to draft, then that's fine. I'm fine doing just a mulligan house rule for that rather than drafting. But, drafting is time. I'm talking about these. See this card on the left here? It's face down, but it's a bonus card. So the bonus cards, you normally draw two at the start of the game and you have to pick which one to discard. What does it matter? Ah, oh, there's some. I mean, they're written in Polish, but whatever. But essentially, it's like, meet this condition, get points, and it tells you how many cards are likely to do that. It means nothing at the start of the game to pick one of those because you have no idea what birds are going to come out. So why does it give you the choice? What I've now implemented is a house rule from Art Nova where essentially you take those two bonus cards... And you don't discard one. What you do is that you hang on to them until round two. You get to the end of round two, and before you start round three, you then discard one of your bonus cards. But it could be a bonus card that you've drawn since the start of the game with the use of bird powers. So I might have started off with two, drawn another two. I could discard one of the two that I drew during the game and decide that they're not good enough for me. This increases the flexibility of those bonus cards tenfold. It means that suddenly you might go, well, I've drawn some more bonus cards, but suddenly the two I started with are actually pretty good. I'm going to keep them. But then also what it means is that by the time you've grabbed a bunch of birds, you know, for the first couple of rounds, you can gauge, oh yeah, this bonus card ain't going to do me any favors. I'll chuck it. I'll now work on this one. May you still not be able to fulfill any of the two? Well, perhaps, but then you've probably concentrated on other things to get your points. But at least it gives you a bit of added flexibility. That house rule greatly balances the, the bonus cards because most of the time the bonus cards are very swingy and are a bit of a weak link of the game. This now brings them up to speed and I will always use that rule in every game of Wingspan I teach. I even try to convince other people whose game I'm playing to implement it. But if they don't, Fine, but if I'm teaching Wingspan, it's in the game. Deal with it. Uh, okay. Kev, Kev, Kev. Do you purchase, own money, and review games just for the sake of the channel? I'm talking about games you don't like but still play as many times as needed, in brackets, and review. For instance, I don't see you doing reviews for each Azul versions or the Parks Everdale Root expansions. Wouldn't those more mainstream games attract more viewers? Um... I certainly do play and buy and review some games for the sake of the channel. I mean, I mentioned Explorers of the North Sea. That's a good extent there. But you mentioned the ones that I haven't done. There's a reason for that. Mainly because I don't own them. 
or mainly just time. I can't review every single expansion that comes out. I mean, I've played uh, Stained Glass of Sintra for Azul, and I don't like it. I think it's garbage. I've played Pavilion for Azul. It's fine, but it's overcomplicating a game that should be super simple. I've not played the Gardens one because, again, I think Azul should just be the base game nice and simple, and yet these expansions, I think, just overcomplicate them. Um, Parks, I'm not even a massive fan of Parks, so, you know, I've... I've played it a couple of times, but not enough to to do a full review for it. And what else? Everdale? I've played Everdale. I like it. You know, I've but I don't own a copy. I've never owned a copy. I've never had a review copy of it. And, you know, my time has to be obviously dedicated to ones that I can get review copies of because they're the ones that uh, take up the time and they're the ones that are being donated to me. But if there is spare time, which typically tends to happen more in the first half of the year rather than the second half of the year, because second half of the year you've got so many games to review that it's hard to squeeze in all these extras. But in the first half of the year, I tend to cater more towards doing a few of those ones that you just mentioned. Although, again, I need to have the time to play them as such. So it varies. I mean, you mentioned Root. I've never owned Root. I've played it a few times on the app, and I've played it a couple of times with someone else's copy. I've never owned it, and the game is impossible to teach. It's four separate games I have to teach all the time. It's just not practical to get that one played. It's not like I have a convenient group of four people that are going to sit and play this one game continuously in the space of a week. It's just not going to happen, so... You know, would they attract more viewers? But then the thing is, I am doing some mainstream games that are attracting viewers. You know, tomato, tomato. Some do, some don't. But I can't review everything. But if I can't review it, then somebody else will. In which case, great. More small creators can get coverage that way. Pretty sure that out of the ones you've mentioned, some small creators have actually looked at the Azul expansions, the Parks expansions, Parks in general, and Root. In which case, go watch theirs. You know, it works on that. I cover what I can cover, and they cover what they can cover. The fact that everybody gets to collaborate and, you know, have something for everybody, then we're good. But, I mean, yeah, it's occasionally... I mean, I do purchase with my own money a ton of games that I review anyway. I mean, Lacrimosa. Lacrimosa is a perfect example. That was an overpriced 70 euro purchase of SM. That was expensive. But I knew it was one of the hotness games that people wanted to play. I wasn't even that desperate to play it. I mean, it's like... You know, it could be good, but I don't see myself loving it. But again, we'll give it a try because Botoku was a similar thing where I bought that. Out of, yeah, Botoku. I bought that out of my own money. Didn't like it, but I bought it out of my own money and reviewed it for the sake of the channel. Lacrimosa was the same thing. There's there's actually more games actually than I realized that I do just buy for the sake of reviewing them for the channel. And you know, I say, Lacrimosa and Botoku are two massive examples of that. But there have been other ones. I mean... Even the Garfield Games stuff, I mean, I generally, typically want them, but, you know, I'm still buying them with my own money, and Wayfarers of the South Tigris, I've bought it, I'm reviews going up, I didn't have to review it, I didn't have to do a video, because I bought it with my own money, but I'm choosing to do a video for it. So, there's definitely examples where I am doing that. Okay, um, and then, let's see, another one from Wayne, uh, let's see... There's one here that isn't even a question. It's more suggestions for uh, more top 10 lists. So I'll certainly take that in mind. The last question to talk about, though, uh, is of the Essen games you've seen or interacted with, which are the top two you could see ranking pretty well in your top 100? Hmm. That I've seen or interacted with. Well, 
I mean, basically anything over the period that I've given very high reviews to. So if I go to my page, my channel page, whoop, oh, the wonders of modern technology. So lately, oh God, I've got to go back a bit now. How can I get all the way to the first page? There we go. So uh, to get into my top 100, to stand a chance of getting in there, you've got to be ranked at least an 8 out of 10. And even an 8 is not a guarantee because there are a lot of games I, you know, that can feature into an 8 and there's only 100 slots. Games that I rank a 9 or a 10 are more than likely to turn up in the top 100. So, I mean, out of the ones that I've done, Precognition is a pretty good start. I mean, that is a 9. But then the thing is, just because I've ranked it now a 9 doesn't mean it will still end up in my top 100 because time obviously will tell. I mean, I'm not going to do the next iteration of the top 100 for another 13, 14 months. Uh, 12 months I suppose at this point so no 12 months 13 no 13 14 months whatever but that's going to be a while these games that I've ranked highly now after playing them to death for a year could go down in the rating and drop out of a top 100 I mean there'll still be games that I love and adore but they just won't be top 100 material so it's not just simply a case that I rank them highly it's a case that they've got to stand the test of time Will Banner Festival stand the test of time? Will Tribes of the Wind stand the test of time? That remains to be seen. Tribes of the Wind is a good contender, though. I did really enjoy that. Splendor Jewel is a pretty good contender. Um, Splendor Jewel was really good. A really good two-player implementation of Splendor. Much in the same reason that Seven Wonders Duel was a great implementation of Seven Wonders for two-player. It certainly, I don't think, would feature anywhere near as highly as Seven Wonders Duel. I think that was just like lightning in a bottle. But... Uh, yeah, Splendor Jewel has potential. Uh, not Endless Winter, no. Not uh, ISS Vanguard, I very much doubt. I mean, campaign games are a hard one to get in the top 100 anyway, just because they're off the that. Frostpunk, I need to play it more. I haven't played it enough yet to know if that's even a brilliant game, let alone top 100 worthy. Yeah, what else have we got here? Twilight Inscription, no. It's not going to work. Certainly none of the board and dice stuff. Oh, what else is there really? Radlands? Radlands was pretty sweet. I did really enjoy that one, but how often will I get it to the table as a two-player only game? I heard there's a solo mode for it, though. Maybe I need to try that. Sobek Great Plains? No. Uh, I mean, I must admit, a lot of these Essen titles are not looking promising. Precognition and Tribes of the Wind have got some high scores, but will they stand the test of time for a year? I mean, none of them are like, blow me out of the water like Ark Nova did. As soon as I played Art Nova, I knew that was going to be top 100 worthy. I mean, that was just a thing. So, but nothing out of Essen came out and blew me out of the water to such an extent. It just never really happened that way. And a lot of games are struggling to really set their mark. I mean, Sniper Elite, you've already seen in my top 100. So, I don't think I can go much further than this, actually, because then I'm leaving Essen entirely. So, yeah, I mean, Precognition and Tribes of the Wind, I guess, would be the two most likely contenders. Canopy is not an Essen release, so that doesn't really count. But yeah, that doesn't leave a lot of games. I mean, that is the thing. Essen just didn't produce a lot of fantastic games for me this year. It produced some games that I liked, but none of them really... Very few of them, to be more accurate, blew me away like, oh my god, this is amazing, you know, top 100 worthy easily. It's definitely a bit of a lackluster year for gaming. No surprise, it seems to be that way for a while. Probably a broken record at this point. But... Yeah, I mean, all these other ones that were around there. I mean, Woodcraft, meh. Lacrimosa, meh. Attawa was an 8 out of 10. Could be a top 100 contender, but 8 out of 10 won't guarantee you a slot. 
Uh, Starship Captains, no, not not enough for that. Flamecraft, meh. Um, Eleven, meh, no. Uh, Banner Festival, maybe. Uh, Deal with the Devil, certainly not. Endless Winter, no. I mean, ISS Vanguard and Endless Winter are eights, but I don't. I I think in a year's time, maybe ISS Vanguard, if I can ever get the time to play it, it could rise up and maybe be a top one hundred worthy title. But I don't think Endless Winter is going to stand the test of time. I think that's going to stay at eight, maybe drop to a seven over time. But um, by the time you've kind of exhausted what you can do with the game, so yeah, I mean, there's not a lot. There really isn't a lot. Last year, Art Nova just blew me out of the water and ended up being like a massive hotness. And I'm trying to remember off my top 100 list, which ones were actually... Which ones ended up on my top 100 from Essen last year? Certainly Art Nova did. That is a given. But the rest of these, I don't remember being Essen releases. Uh, Lost Runes of Arnak, actually. When that came out, that was an Essen release, I think. I think it was, and that certainly blew my blew me away and shoved it onto my top 100. Uh, that was a Kickstarter, doesn't really count. But Essen releases? Terramara? Uh, Terramara ended up on my top 100 um, after an Essen release, and that was pretty sweet. But yeah, yeah, there's not a huge amount from 2022 that could make my top 100, but we'll see. 14 months is going to be a long time from when I said I was going to do it, and so we'll see how that pans out. Alright, that's it. Uh, say, uh, Georgios did post a very nice comment about uh, mine and Paul Grogan's channel, so thank you for the kind feedback. Uh, and it was good to play um, New Angeles with you at GridCon, that was good fun. I hope you enjoyed it, <laughs> despite the thing I think your corporation got the short end of the stick for a lot of it. But, like I say, the suggestions for top 10 lists or something, you know, what was it? Board games for a naturalist? What exactly does that even mean? Uh, Safe Guide to Lacerdaverse, A Hitchhiker's Guide to Uri Rosenberg Galaxy, Geography with Stefan Feld, and Back to the Future Old Games Reimplemented. I mean, these are more quirky titles for top tens, I would admit, but <laughs> they are quite interesting ideas. But yeah, thanks for those uh, questions. You know, I couldn't do them in the Q&A, but hopefully this Q&A will suffice. Right, hour 22, it's time to wrap this up. So I've got a Wayfarer's uh, review to edit. I've got a uh, burn cycle on the table underneath this thing, which I have got to try and play enough times before the top 10 of 2022 because I, it's a 2022 release. Therefore, it's a contender for the list, but it's fun. It is fun. But man, is it a rules overload. It's Chip Theory just cannot do a simple game. And Burn Cycle is no exception. There is a ton to learn in this game. The question is, is it worth that time? But we'll see. I'm playing it at the moment. And we'll see. And also I need to get Tindaya played a bit more as well. Because, in fact, Tindaya could be another example for the earlier question. Saying, do you just buy something for the sake of it? I bought it. Bought it on Kickstarter. No review copy. It may be one that gets a review, but probably not in time for Christmas. That'll probably be a January one. Uh, Obsession. Perfect example, actually. Obsession. Obsession is downstairs. I played it a couple of times only, once with a random group and once with uh, my friends. Enjoyed it more the second time. It has some issues I do have with it, but I wanted to give it a try solo, so I did buy everything that there was for it. I could have literally just played the base, bought the base game, but no, I bought everything there was for it. And in 2023, early Jan you know, in January, February, I will review Obsession. So that was definitely not a review request. That was purely bought for the channel. So, yeah, I like to think I do plenty of those. <laughs> well, even though I'm just thinking them at the last minute. Anyway, that's it for me. So, yes, no podcast in two weeks' time. That will be Christmas. So I hope everybody does have a good Christmas. I'm... 
it's nice to be with a family and it's nice to have a break from work and that but at the end of the day christmas is not a massive thing i go mad for i mean cool bar humbug if you will but i can't stand christmas songs i find the commercialism associated with it it's a massive money thing to buy for nieces and nephews i can tell you that i don't ask for christmas presents anymore because frankly if it's something i want i've already gone and got it so presents don't really mean much when you're in uh you're late 30s but yeah i mean it'll be nice to see the family that's kind of it see the family eat a ton of roast dinners um we had a christmas do recently for work which was a uh, your atypical Christmas do, so not the massive uplift, but, uh, you know, we've got one on Thursday, uh, yeah, I think later this week, where we're just doing an office social, that I'm looking forward to, just laid back, just give me a meal out, and drinks afterwards, no stupid DJ playing Aber and Steps, oh my god, DJs, will you kindly just update your repertoire, ah, nope, not getting into a rant about DJs, but, uh, yeah, suffice to say, ears were bleeding from that uh christmas do but yeah so yeah you know meals out and seeing friends and seeing some family and that you know and having a decent roast dinner and that you know that's the sort of thing from christmas that i like but at the end of the day it's not much different from the rest of the year when i go to visit the family frankly big roast dinner and seeing a family the christmas bit is just the fact that there's a tree and it's colder that's kind of it and everything's shut that's really the only difference between them but as i say hopefully everybody does have a pretty good christmas and certainly has a good new year again i don't go mad on new years but i'm going home to the parents again to visit uh when my brother and my and my sister-in-law are visiting so that'll be good to see them because i don't see them very often um i bought so many games with them up north or something so it's, it'll be good to play some games with them again uh but yeah you know so yeah i'm probably not going to be like going mad at christmas and new year's this time but it will be just nice to maybe get rid of 2022 because it was a bit of a I don't know. This year just seems to have gone quick and not much has really happened. So maybe 2023 can bring us something a little bit more uh, interesting on that. It just feels like 2022 was just another year, frankly. But we'll see if there's even much of a society at the end of 2023, the way that uh, modern politics are going. But we'll see. Um, I'm digressing. I'm uh, rambling at this point. So, yeah, I'll see you soon. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Take care. And remember, as always... Well, whatever you do choose to do to celebrate your Christmas period, just have a good time and take care and, uh, you know, check out the rest of my content that I can do before Christmas and maybe even air something over the Christmas period, you know, like some lighter stuff. But um, for the most part, uh, aside from a few bits of extra content, I'll see you on the podcast show, at least in 2023. So take care and 